something we failed to uh, do in several weeks past uh, is to invite the speaker. So, Pastor Lenny, we would like to invite you up <laughs> to give the next message. How many of you know that uh, there are folks that get paid a lot of money for creating jingles that people will remember? Uh, I, can't, I can't figure out why, but this morning I heard my mind playing, let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. <laughs> now that's from back in 1982. We don't, most people these days don't even know what a yellow page is, but somebody got paid good money to say something that you would remember for a long, long time. Um, one of the things that I have learned to appreciate is the way the Lord will bring things together and overlap them. I had to smile when Pastor Jay went into Ephesians last week because that was where I was headed, my next uh, opportunity in the pulpit. But... Uh, Here's something that I crafted a long, long time ago out of 1 Timothy. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. All right? So uh, Dr. Sai has been with me for a long, long time. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. Dr. Sai. So I thought we'd visit the doctor this morning and get a little checkup because there are things going on in the body of Christ and in the nation that require us to do some self-examination. And in that process, there are some uh, things that we should make note of. Pastor Jay pointed out to us last week that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And Jesus made a statement to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees along that thing, and he was pretty upset with them. He called them a brood of vipers. Now, several years ago, I was invited out to a, a farm in Virginia to uh, spend time with our folks who regularly camped there on an annual basis at the uh, hospitality of the owner of that property. And I took a fishing pole with me, and I figured I'd dig some bait. And so I, I went down to the edge of the Rappahannock River and I started digging in the dirt and I stumbled upon this big pile of worms. And just as I was about to grab them, I realized I was looking at a nest of water moccasins. The phrase brood of vipers has a personal meaning to me <laughs> because it means there's something deadly in it. And in this particular admonition in Matthew 13, 24, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, in the, uh, in the admonition to his own people, the Lord went on to say this, that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the mouth... The heart speaks. 
Now, as we consider our visit to Dr. Sai, he's going to give us both an oral examination and a physical examination. Because earlier, I mentioned, let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages from 1982. But this is 2021. These days, our fingers do their walking across the keyboard. Now, some of the things that challenge those of us in the kingdom are the cultural circumstances in which we're raised. Now, one of the benefits that I bring to other nations when I minister there is I didn't grow up in their cultural blindness. And so I'm able to identify things and help them see it from a different point of view because there's a certain osmosis that happens as we grow up in a particular culture. They're just things we accept as normative. I was, I was raised in, in uh, South Alabama, so there was a serious case of cultural blindness to the whole, ins- the whole uh, issue of, uh, of racism. It wasn't racism. It was the way of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it wasn't racist. I'm saying in that culture, it was the way of life. And you have to get out of things sometimes to see what you were actually participating in. So I'm going to try to help us get out of some stuff today before we get in further trouble with the Lord. Now, I want to begin with a couple of questions. These are easy questions, all right? First of all, as American citizens, I want to ask you, um, is written word considered free speech in the United States of America? Is written word considered free speech the United States of America. Okay, good. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be. Let's don't go there. The censorship that's happening is another topic entirely. Now, we are agreed that in America, free speech is part of our right. Now, as Americans who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, do you have the same level of free speech? Really? Then you're way ahead of me. Let's go on. (laughs) I want to take a look at the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. For those of you who haven't read it lately, in fact, if you've never read it, you probably ought to do some homework so you know what you're talking about when you say, I have rights. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Amendment 1 to the Constitution was an imperative for the writers of the Constitution because of what they had been subjected to by autocratic governments. Okay? Now, over time, this began to develop into the practices. This next uh, slide says, as with all of the Bill of Rights, the free speech, free press guarantee restricts only government action, not action by private employers, property owners, householders, churches, universities, 
and the like. Now, as, as we read on, the free speech and free press clauses have been read as providing essentially equal protection to speakers and writers, whether or not they're members of the institutional press and largely regardless of the medium, books, newspapers, movies, the Internet. Can you say the Internet? See where I'm going? In which they communicate. Newspapers enjoy no more and no fewer constitutional rights than individuals. The one exception is over the airways, radio, and television broadcasting, which has for historical reasons been given less constitutional freedom. Now, the free speech, free press guarantee extends not just to political speech, but also to speech about religion, science, morality, social conditions, and daily life, and as well as to art and entertainment. In the words of a 1948 case, the line between the informing and the entertaining is too elusive for the protection of that basic right of free speech. Everyone is familiar with the instance of propaganda through fiction. What is one man's amusement teaches another man's doctrine. And the guarantee extends to lowbrow expressions, such as jokes or even profanity, as well as highbrow expressions. The free speech, free press guarantee extends to all viewpoints, good or evil. There is no exception, for instance, for communism, Nazism, Islamic radicalism, sexist speech, or hate speech, whatever that term may mean. Under the First Amendment, there's no such thing as a false idea. However pernicious an opinion may seem, we depend for its correction not on the conscience of judges and juries, but on the competition of other ideas. Now, from the First Amendment, we just heard how it has unfolded in our culture by, by the jurists who've had to deal with what does it mean to be a constitutional republic. So basically, the First Amendment allows you as an American citizen to say pretty much anything you want. I say pretty much because if you're advocating the overthrow of the government, that speech is censored. But generally, you can say just about anything that you want to in whatever attitude you want to give it, whether it's meanness of spirit or goodness of spirit, it doesn't, it, it's, it's covered. Now, you have that freedom as an American citizen. I suspect, unless you're living in a cave where there's no outside communication, most of you would recognize that the speech that's happening within our culture is counterproductive. We are in a very unusual and challenging time in this country. And one of the obvious, um, at least to me, obvious consequences of this is how the emotions of the general population and the Christians within that population are having their mo emotional life inflamed by the rhetoric that's taking place. Is that, is that generally recognized? Okie dokie. So if we were to say that we are uh, followers of Jesus Christ, then we own our, uh, let's say, our responsibility our identity as his representatives, are we then free to speak like everybody else? Now let that settle for a second, because I'm after something this morning. 
I want you to imagine, if you will, um, let's say a house or a church building. Let's go with a church building, okay? And uh, you know what happens? You come off of there and you've got the walls, right? Now, what I'd like you to do is just draw a line right down the middle of that house all the way to the foundation, from the peak to the foundation. Can you see we just divided the house in two parts? All right. Now, I want you to consider that line alignment with Christ. And the house of God should be standing such that it is aligned with God. And that line separates both left and right. Whatever left and right might represent. Got it visually? Okay. Now, is it possible that both left and right can exist in the house of God? Absolutely possible. Should there be contention between left and right in the house of God? The answer is no. Why? Because the centerpiece of the house is alignment with Christ. That means the renewing of mind has to occur within the house of God, not within the corruption in the atmosphere outside the house of God. Now, I'm coming from that premise, all right? So as I prosecute this word, I ask you again, as representatives of the Father and followers of Christ, do you share the same freedom of speech and writing as those outside the body of Christ? So we can intellectually acknowledge there's a higher demand upon those of us who represent the Lord than those who represent themselves, their organization, or their particular ideology. Now, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, good. It's never my intention to say things that tickle your ears to please you. We have got to be accountable to the Lord for what's taking place in this hour, and it starts in his house, not in theirs. So, one of the disappointments, one of my personal disappointments out of this last insane year, just absolutely insane year, has been both what I have read and what has been pointed out to me as the writings of these, of a group of people who call themselves Christians. And the contentious manner in which they have misrepresented the Lord they say they serve. I have been just so disappointed. Even in people close to me, those that I love and care for. I have been astonished at the liberty they have extended to themselves online in public forums, railing against one another, unfriending one another, telling another believer you're no longer in the faith because you don't identify with my position. As Paul would say, these things ought not to be. So let's press on a little bit. I, um, I follow two leadership blogs with some regularity. And in my 
frustration with the present, um, I'll just say it like the, the present behavior of Christians. I was trying to find some way of communicating that, that was inclusive in our understanding. The kind of thing we could look at and generally agree without being particularly specific. But um, I, was, I was searching for the right adjective to describe the tone of the broad spectrum of things that have been said. And I came upon Gary Newolf's um, post, and I was struck by his observation on this issue. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let us read it together. Now, uh, for information purposes, this, this particular author is a Canadian, and he's living in what he identifies as a post-Christian culture. Okay, And for those of you who aren't, who aren't paying attention, America is well on its way to being a post-Christian culture. Okay, There are some other, other things that have got to take place before it's uh, fully sectarian, but that's, that's the trajectory at the moment. So this Canadian is watching what's taking place. And he says, I search for the right adjective to describe the tone of Christian posts I've seen this year, and the best one I could come up with was mean. What many church leaders forget is that whatever you post, the world is watching. That jab you took at someone you don't like, that right hook you threw at someone who's different from you, the cynical, angry, sarcastic rant you posted thinking you told everyone what they need to know, is there some reason we don't have these? I haven't seen that toy there, so. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, son. You know those posts, the ones that get commented on and shared because the Internet likes anger? Those posts. I'm guessing it leaves non-Christians wondering why Christians are so mean. At least it leaves me wondering that. The unchurched are watching and listening. And for the most part, you don't even realize they are. But your profile is public and they know they're connecting the dots. And maybe just maybe while they're watching and listen, they're also walking away. 2020 was not the Christian world's finest hour on social media. Time and time again, when the world needed love, Christians gave it judgment. It's not our job to judge the world. It's our job to love it, to show what love looks like. Ultimately, and this is a challenge to myself, he writes, any tone issue isn't really a tone issue, it's a heart issue. Again, for emphasis, any tone issue isn't really a tone issue. It's a heart issue because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth and your fingers speak. So what do your fingers say? Just just so you know, I wasn't expecting amens. Because we're in a sober moment in the history of our country and we have got to get clear about who we represent 
and how we communicate in that representation. So I'm going to return to Pastor Jay's text, which was in my heart to share long before I heard Pastor Jay read it. But out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, you know, let's think of it like this. Paul was the Jewish apostle to the Gentiles. And so when he goes into that Gentile scenario, you cannot presume that they know anything about the Torah. They don't have the history of the Jewish people. So when he brings the gospel into a totally heathen environment, there is no context for how you should behave as you become a follower of Christ. And so as you read through his many epistles, you find him addressing behavior regularly because even though your heart can respond to the gospel and your spirit be born again, you do not have your mind renewed. Um, Synergism. Y'all know the blending of stuff? So it's possible to take the gospel into certain scenarios, present the gospel of forgiveness, that people receive the forgiveness and continue in their idol worship and their witchcraft, only now it's in the name of Jesus. Because there has to be a change of mind associated with the spirit of revelation that's now on deposit. And someone has to speak those things so that we can hear and be judged by the word. To have doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction apply to us, not just to someone else. And so Paul writes these things with a specific aim of saying, look, these things ought not to be. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth or your fingers, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Pay attention. According to the need of the moment. There's such a thing as apples of silver in frames of gold, and if I've misquoted it, then it's apples of gold in frames of silver. Because in the moment, there's always the opportunity for the Spirit of God to utter something that... Have any of you ever heard something said and it went past your mind straight into your spirit and awakened you? That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation and operation. And there's always the opportunity for our perspective submitted to what's being said in the moment that can make them go, well, I never thought of it like that. Ever had that phrase come out of your mouth? I didn't see it that way. Thank you for the input. Such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Who who is he addressing here? He's addressing the church, the people who make up the living body of Christ. Why would he have to say this? Can you imagine why? Because they were born again and conducting themselves in this fashion. He says, rather, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just in Christ, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Okay, now, we've read it. We've heard it. Now let's look at it. 
piece by piece. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth or fingers, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Unwholesome. What might that mean? Well, in a moral sense, it means corrupt or foul. You ever heard the phrase, cuss like a sailor? Yeah. I'm disappointed that happened because once upon a time I was a sailor. My favorite cusser is the Apostle Peter. In the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he cussed so convincingly, an eyewitness finally concluded, no, you can't possibly be one of his. Some of the stuff I have read is so base if I didn't know the person personally. I would be forced to conclude they're not a real Christian. Now, for those who don't know them personally, it's easy to reach that conclusion. Because that which is corrupt and foul is easily identified. And it varies from conscience to conscience. Edification means to increase the potential of someone or something with a focus upon the process involved, which means to strengthen, to make more able, to build up, as opposed to that which tears down, calls into question, and creates insecurity or broken relationships. Pressing on. This ought to catch your attention. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit wherewith you have been sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean? Has any, any of you ever been grieved? Okay, and I'm not talking about the grief associated with death. To cause someone to be sad, sorrowful, or distressed. Has it ever occurred to you you have the capacity to make the Holy Spirit sad? Any of you parents ever been disappointed with the behavior of your children? Any of your parents ever disappointed your parents with your behavior? So we all know what it means to be saddened or grieved or to produce distress. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He is our teacher, comforter, guide. He is the one who empowers us for service. He's the one who's responsible for refining us into the image of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be in a position where he's... In our previous home, we had morning doves. They were there. Guess how often? Every morning. And in my first encounters with them, you know, I'd slam the door going out and you'd see them. But I learned over time that if I eased myself out of the house, they didn't fly away until I walked to that part of the sidewalk they were occupying or near that part of the flower bed. And it was instructional for me. You have to be careful around the dove. 
you have to be particular about the way you carry yourself because he can be grieved with it. Now, he's never going to leave us or abandon us. Jesus said it's expedient for you to go away because if I don't go, he can't come. But when he comes, he'll be both with you and in you. Therefore, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. All those promises. But we need to realize that in any relationship, we have the capacity to negatively affect the relationship. I, for one, don't want to negatively affect that relationship. And I'll tell you, I have been guilty of it. That's how I know the difference. But in this season of my life, he's my bread and butter. He gives me illumination. He's the one upon I call to quicken life to this mortal body. That does not mean raise it from the dead. That means keep it going as long as it serves the purposes of Christ. But grieving the Holy Spirit is a real act that can be committed in carelessness or even with intentionality. Because as we read on, we're admonished, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away from you. Now, Paul speaking to Christians about their bitterness, a state of sharp, intense resentment or hate. I have read this year people praying that other people would die. Wrath, meaning the direct judgment, a state of anger with the implication of passionate outbursts. I have watched, read, people unloading on another out of what could not be described any less than words of fury and accusation. Anger, the outburst of a vengeful mind, the I'm going to get even with you state of mind. Paul's writing this to the church because they're guilty of these activities. When he looks at the word, uses the word clamor, he's talking about the sound of a loud scream or shout. Did you know, if you listen carefully, you can hear people shout at you with their words? Slander, to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure his or her reputation. Relationships in the body of Christ are being fractured by this tendency towards slander. I've watched one of my friends tell one of my other friends, I don't even believe you're a Christian anymore. Malice, a feeling of hostility and strong dislike with a possible implication of desiring to do harm, a hateful feeling. Now, I've been hiding from the news for several months now. 
because I saw all of this in the streets of my nation. And then I discovered that it's in my congregation and in the body of Christ at large. And I was stunned. I think more highly of us than this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be put away from you. How do you do that? How do you put away something that you discover is resident in you? Now, there are a lot of self-help programs that people undertake when they have a particular issue they're trying to deal with in their life, whether it's anger management, weight loss, whatever the thing is that plagues them, not smoking, uh, I'm an alcoholic, I haven't had a drink in 17 years, and my identity is still I'm an alcoholic, I still go to my weekly meetings just in case I never mess up again. We have a greater agency than self-help. It's called divine intervention. But to get it, you have to ask for it. And what do we ask for? Paul goes on to say this. Be kind to one another. That is, be good-natured, gentle, and kind. Have you ever, ever been in a really frustrating situation? Let's, um, oh, here's a common negative experience. The Department of Motor Vehicles. Have you ever been in one of those frustrating situations? You're vexed, you know. This is the third time you've been there because every time you've come, you felt like you had everything they asked for only to discover you've got to go back and get one more thing and make another appointment and drive back up there and kill half a day because you know when you get the number, that doesn't mean you get to the counter. It means you've got to sit there and listen. And when you get there, have you ever met one of those conciliatory people who hear your frustration and apologize to you? Here, let me help you get this sorted out. In the Department of Motor Vehicles in South Carolina, I promise you that's the response, and I was shocked. (laughs) But in some scenario where someone is able to just sort of dial you down with their manner, they, they have a, a conciliatory spirit that entreats you to want to open up and say, oh, thank you, I appreciate your help. Any, any such situation in your life? Any such situation outside of Maryland in your life? <laughs> be, be kind. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. You know, one of the things that was a difficult lesson for me as a minister, a young minister, was the the people who would come and just vomit all over me, okay? Or um, I happened to be standing there when their boil burst and their emotions flooded out, attacking me, you know? 
It took me a while to understand. I was not their issue. I was their target of opportunity with their issue. You ever been on the receiving end of that? Okay. When we own our identity as the Lord's representative, it does not require self-justification or defense in that moment. It requires listening for what's not being said, hearing how the Spirit would respond, and being his representative in that moment. If that were genuinely the case across the board, the contention in the body of Christ would be dramatically less than it is today. Because we are acting like children who don't know any better. He says, be tenderhearted, be kind, be gentle in the way you respond. Good-natured. Tenderhearted pertaining to being affectionate and compassionate. It might read, be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving. Make note of this, forgiving on the basis of one's gracious attitude toward another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. What do you suppose he wants your demeanor to be when somebody confronts you, offends you, attacks you? Now, do these things hurt? Yes, they hurt. And if we let them lodge, they will also fester. And pretty soon we're back in verse 29. Now, this is not a self-help program. If, if God wants this in you, who is the agent to produce it in you? You or the Holy Spirit? But in order for us to find the grace that attends this, then we have to own up to the way we have been behaving and say, forgive me, Lord. I don't want this in me anymore. And he begins the process of reclamation, going into your soul and repossessing that area of your soul. Now, when we talk about the concept of spiritual maturity, we're not just talking about a journey of events. We're talking about the kinds of things that produce that maturity. Pastor Jay used a couple of illustrations recently I thought were very valuable. He said that 2020 was just an on-ramp. We're not off this highway yet. And he also went on to point that this isolation, this, this uh, go back into your cave and work from your cave and all this lockdown nonsense... I should qualify that word nonsense. There's a great deal of excess taking place in this culture regarding insulating yourself from one another when there's no evidence to back up that it, that's helpful. Okay. But what it has done, it has applied pressure to the souls of human beings, Christians alike. Now, what happens when you squeeze something? Something comes to the surface. Okay. Now, if these things are hidden in our soul, and the Lord has facilitated a pressure cooker for us to be exposed to ourselves, what happens when he removes that? There's more room for the infusion of the Holy Spirit into our souls. Because it's not your spirit that's going to get you in trouble. It's the soul. That's why the soul needs to be saved. 
You follow me? So it's not a bad thing that these things have been exposed. The bad thing will be if we refuse to do anything about it. Because if we do that, we are deliberately working against the intentionality of the Holy Spirit in conforming us as individuals and a corporate body into the image of Jesus. Now, I suppose under cross-examination of each one of you, none of you would agree to oppose the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm simply pointing out that there is work for the Holy Spirit to do in our lives so that we can get clear in our minds that some of the stuff that's going on ought not to be in the house of God. I want to... uh, I want, I want to alert you to a homework assignment that you have that will endure for the rest of your natural life. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God so that whatever you do, Whatever you do, where? In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. My personal position in the global and national distress is that God is dealing with his people. There's no way I can read the scripture and not see that the entire book is about him and his people. It's clear to me that we have a substantial case of biblical ignorance in this country and in the body of Christ. I was stunned to read some research recently that indicated 66% of evangelical Christians hold heretical positions. And that in simple tests about doctrines of the church, atheists and agnostics answered more correctly than Christians. That's the state of affairs we're in. Because we don't know the word, we can't obey the word. If we don't have a context for decision-making, we will inevitably follow the leadership of our souls. So your homework, your lifetime homework, is to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. That is, building up and in strengthening one another. I started something last year that I'll just ask you to consider. I began making a list of things for which I'm thankful, going back as far as I could remember. I now have several pages of one-liners of things for which I am thankful. 
and almost in rote sometimes, I will read these things back to God, appreciating the extraordinary mercy he has shown me as a sinner and a broken orphan. And the tributary of his grace throughout these seven decades. I would encourage you to remind yourself of the goodness of God to you so that you always have opportunity to give thanks. Even in your darkest hour, you can say, Lord, I remember. Thank you. Because these, you know, Jay was quoting Bill Johnson last week that words shape words that people live in. I grew up in an atmosphere of sarcasm and depreciation. And it took years for the Lord to bring all those splinters out of my soul so that none of those words have any affect on me whatsoever. It's a process of becoming pure in him, but it has to be intentional. So, the U.S. Constitution enshrines your right to say anything you want to anybody about anything and any attitude you have. Look, that's something to celebrate. Because where I travel, they don't have that freedom. Okay, they'd love to be able to speak the way Americans get to speak and not go to jail for it. Of course, we may be going to jail because soon everything we say as Christians is going to be defined as hate speech. But, When you embrace your responsibility as the Lord's representative, you surrender certain personal freedoms. You volitionally do it because you want to be a more accurate representative of the one who saved your miserable soul and gave you a future. Now, tempering that over time is going to require some discipline. But as the Lord's representatives, we need to be submitting what we're writing to the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit before we hit send, post, share. Now, at that moment was your opportunity to say amen. Amen. Too late, too late. You know, there's a, um, there's a phrase that has arisen. Uh, I, I hear it more now than I have in years past. It says, you know, there's just some things you can't unsee. And there are also some things, when they're said, that can't be unsaid. We have a weighty responsibility as what... Pastor Jay calls the mouthpieces of the Lord. I don't know how many of you are aware of this. I did some research just because I'd heard about it and I wanted to know. Now, 70% of potential employers search the social media postings on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter of potential employees. Do you know what that potential word means? It means if your postings 
are contrary to their particular policies, or they find you radicalized in some way, or your philosophies are counterproductive to what they represent, guess who's not getting the job? And from what I can tell, there's a lot of people who aren't aware of this. But worse than that, it's not just fear of unemployment. There should be a soberness about the fact that we possess the ability to grieve God the Holy Spirit in the way we communicate. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We're not neutral. Okay? You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. You're either healing or you're harming. You're helping or you're getting in the way. But whatever you do, in word, spoken or written, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I'm going to conclude my portion with this appeal. If meanness is how you are being heard and read, you need to repent. If you have posts that dishonor the Lord you represent, you need to take them down. If you have sinned publicly against another on your posts, you should repent publicly to that same audience. And if your posts tend toward baseness, you need to repent from within your heart and plead with the Holy Spirit for change. And make note of this. If someone who's earned the right to speak into your life calls you into question about something you've posted, you need to hear them, weigh their concerns, and respond. That will help keep you out of trouble. I want us to be encouraged when we leave here today. And the Lord has gone before us to help us do that. Rhonda has a prophetic word to share with us this morning that should give you hope in the midst of the just insanity that is swirling all around us. So, Rhonda, if you would come and share with us, please. I'm going to, there's actually two words that came in that I want to bring together because I think they're connected. And um, how many of you would be in agreement that the church, under the pressure, after the on-ramp of 2020, 
the church, the body, has been under great pressure for a number of things, whether it be COVID pieces, whether it be all the issues that have arisen in our culture. The church has been under great pressure, and I would propose to you that from great pressure comes transition. Okay? So the first word that came forth today is, so many what-ifs bombarding the bride this morning, so overwhelmingly looking ahead into the future. How will we survive this if this happens? And this, and this, the Lord clearly said, I will do miracles. My sense was this meant miracles we have never seen because we've trusted more in what we've known rather than trusting in him alone. There's the second word that came forth is, I will never abandon my people even in the darkness of transition. Light comes in the morning. Do not fear the darkness, for it is only the backdrop upon which I will display my glorious bride. Now I want to pause because there's a scripture with that as well. I want you to think about this. So the bride we know, we are under transition. Pressure is causing us to look within ourselves individually, to look within ourselves corporately. You just saw it right here. And begin to align ourselves with the one, the Lord. Transition. Now in this particular word, the Lord was comparing this transition as being a darkness. Because when you are undergoing transition, we don't see very clearly. And we certainly don't look very bright yet. And there's a whole lot of questions. The previous word, there was a lot of questions. Think of it in terms of this. When you go to a jewelry store, a really nice jewelry store where the lights are just set so perfectly right over those beautiful cases. Why do you think... Let's go to the diamond counter. You know, the engagement rings, the, all the diamonds displayed. Do you ever see the diamonds displayed on a white background? No. Why? Because it doesn't show their brilliance. When you go to that jewelry case and you're looking at it, and the diamonds are displayed beautifully on the darkest, blackest velvet that you've ever seen. What do you look at? Do you look at the black velvet? Is the black velvet on display for you? No. What are your eyes drawn to? What does the light illuminate? What is more clearly seen in that display from that black background? The diamonds. The diamonds that were transformed through great pressure. Now, 
the second word that was brought forth, where the Lord says, I'll never abandon my people, even in the darkness of transition. Light comes in the morning. Do not fear the darkness, for it is only the backdrop upon which I will display my glorious bride. And there was a scripture given. Psalms 23, verses 4 through 10. Now, we all think, oh, Psalms 23. Yeah, we know Psalms 23. And we tend to dismiss it because we know it so well. Or we tend to associate it with a meaning that we adapted and put it in that hole that we've always put it in that category. Oh, here we go. I want to go to verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A couple of things I want to show you. In that valley of darkness, the darkest valley, we're to fear no evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Now, there's a couple of different things to that rod. It had a couple of different uses. One, when the shepherd counts the sheep, he holds the rod out and they go beneath the rod. There's a measuring that happens. There's a transformation that happens. And the hook is for the rescuing of his people. And then he prepares a table for us in that darkest of valleys in the presence of our enemies. And in that darkest of valleys, sitting at the table of provision, he anoints us. So yes, we are undergoing great transition, the body of Christ. And it's a needed transition. And there's a whole lot of questions. And there's a whole lot of concerns. And there's a whole lot of transformation in us and alignment. But in the darkest valley, there is provision. And in the darkest valley, there's anointing. And in the darkest valley... Out of that provision and out of that anointing, the glorious bride is reflected in her greatest beauty, in her greatest brilliance. So we don't look to the darkness. We set our eyes on the Lord because that's really what's to be shown, not the backdrop. Thank you. I've got one. Thank you. I want to remind us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And the scripture says that when we pray for one another, we will be healed if you sin against anybody. So this ought not be a, oh, my God moment, but, oh, my God moment. Because being challenged And recognizing the challenge is personalized becomes the opportunity for it to be cleansed and forgiven. 
and we walk away from that moment different than when we approach that moment. So I realize this is not a yay, yay, Lanny moment, but is a yay, yay, God moment because these things needed to be said so that our people can be set free from themselves. Now, I'm going to defer prayer about this issue to Pastor Jay as he brings forth communion, the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us to redeem our spirit, soul, and body. And in that time, this would be the occasion. That would be the moment as you hold the testimony of forgiveness in your hand. If any of these words this morning have targeted your soul, that's the moment to bring it before the Lord. Pastor? thank Pastor Lanny for this message this morning, and Rhonda and everyone else who shared this morning as well, the words from the Lord. You know, what we're about to partake in helps us identify that we are in the body of Christ, and part of what Lanny raised for us this morning was the standard by which we are to conduct ourselves as representatives of the body of Christ. And I'm thankful that at the end of this message, Pastor said, it's the blood of Jesus that heals us. And that as we come to this point right now at the table of the Lord, this is the moment where if anything pricked our heart, we say, Lord, I repent. I can identify with that. I repent of that, and I thank you and I rejoice that my greater identity is in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your blood cleanses us of all sin. We thank you, Lord, that your blood speaks a better word. We thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit who teaches us, who strengthens us, and who is the one that brings the power to transform us from what we were to who we are to be in you, Lord, and who we are in you. Lord, right now, any sin that we have committed over this year, Lord Jesus, online or in our, in our communications with one another, Lord, anything that we have done to misrepresent you, Lord, we lay those down at your feet right now, Lord, and we say, Father, please forgive me. Bring about transformation in me. I repent, Lord. Teach me your ways, Lord. Let me walk humbly before you. Let no unwholesome thing come from my mouth. No bitter words, Lord, but only sweet words. Lord, let your spirit come alive in me and let me represent you well. In the name of Jesus, to the glory of our Father, amen. Take and eat and drink. In the name of Jesus.
For those who are here in this room, our ushers will come by and pick up your cup. Before we go, I just want to commend you to the Lord and to the power of the Holy Spirit, the intimacy He has with each one of us to search our hearts and for you to remember His job is not to point His finger at you and wag it at you and tell you how bad you are. He comes alongside us. He picks us up. He strengthens us. He builds us, and He encourages us because He has fruit that He is going to bring forth in our lives. I would encourage all of us to partner with that work that He's doing in us. Be transparent before Him. Allow Him to do the work that He's doing in us right now. Rhonda, I thank you for that illustration. We're not to focus on the darkness, but our eyes are supposed to focus on the Lord. We're there to reflect Him. We're there to transmit Him. We're there to be His conduit here in the earth. Lord, I ask that you would further refine us as your people. For your glory, Lord. As we sang this morning, Lord, we surrender to you. Hallelujah. I bless these, Lord Jesus, as we go through this week, Lord, that you would teach us, you'd train us, you'd strengthen us, you'd encourage us. Lord, that we would walk in humility before you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're told in Scripture, we'll be known that we are Christians by our love. By our love. By our love. Hallelujah. Love you all. God bless you. Have a good week. In Jesus' name, amen.